0: Support for this podcast comes from Diversity Fund. Diversity Fund is an investment platform that allows everyday Americans the opportunity to invest directly into commercial real estate deals with the goal to help close the wealth gap and enable all Americans the ability to achieve financial freedom. Go to www.diversityfund.com and use the offer code INVESTINTHEUS when you sign up for an account and receive a $20 gift card when you make your first investment. That's diversityfund.com, D-I-V-E-R-S-Y-F-U-N-D.com.
1: Now back into the show. Raising capital is the most consistently sought after, lucrative, and achievable real estate skill that is ever going to exist ever, right? I mean, it's just always, is, if you can do this one thing, which is raise a million dollars, you can always have a job in the real estate sector. And I don't think there's anything else in the real estate sector that's like that.
0: Today on the show, I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the hot seat Mr. Hunter Thompson. Hunter is the founder of ASIM Capital, which controls over $75 million in real estate. The company focuses on connecting accredited investors with successful operators in the commercial real estate space, specifically self storage, mobile home parks, and multi family. Hunter is also the host of the up-and-coming new podcast called Cashflow Connections, and he has a cracker new book coming out, which is called uh, The Capital for Real Estate, How to Attract Investors, Establish Credibility, and Fund Deals. I'm really pumped and excited to have him back on the show, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Hunter. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, Reid. Thanks again for having me on. Much appreciate it, Mate, my pleasure. And I was just, you know, in the introduction, we are talking a little bit about the fact that you were on my show a little while ago. Um, A lot's happened since then, which we're going to get into, but um, for those people who haven't actually listened to the original episode, do you want to give us a, a couple of minutes background on who you are and where you've come from?
1: Yeah, sure. So you know, I think most people, when they talk about real estate, at least the new breed of real estate investors, a lot of them start with 2008. My story starts there as well, but it's a little bit different. I was very insulated from 2008 because I was in college when that took place. And so I was interested in financial markets, I had studied economics, and so when 2008 happened, I saw it as a great opportunity. So what happened was, I jumped into financial assets, invested significantly in the stock market, started studying people like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and just went all in on financial markets and started to have success, like most people did that started investing in 2008, and really was trying to build a career for myself in that asset class. And then 2010 happened, and that's something that not a lot of people talk about, but it was a major last straw moment for me, which is the European debt crisis. Basically, if you're not familiar, the Europe markets suffered the type of volatility It was very similar to what was going on in the United States. A lot of central banks froze up, massive bailouts were required, and it was just really turmoil. We saw Greece have upwards of 30% unemployment, especially for young people. And so the challenging part about this, though, was that it had a tremendous impact on the U.S. markets. And so all this research that I had done, all this studying about diversification, all this knowledge that I had pushed into my brain, I realized it was subject to something as ridiculous as the European bond yields, particularly the Greece bond yields. All of a sudden, this was like a major determining factor in my well-being. And I realized, despite the fact that I had done this research, and despite the fact that I had been so, quote, diversified, it was all correlated, and I was exposed to risks that I had no way of mitigating or predicting. And even if I had a huge team, I couldn't do anything about it. So this kind of sent me on a quest starting in 2010 to find low risk cash flow focused investments that weren't correlated with the overall economy, or especially not correlated with something like the Greece bond yields. And very quickly led me to real estate. And thankfully, I was introduced to the syndication and commercial sector very, very quickly because of the network that I was able to build up. Um, you know, to be honest with you, very fortunate timing, obviously. That's much easier to say now than it was back then. And I know you're familiar with this, Reed. Anyone that says, oh, well, yeah, of course you started a company in 2010. You guys have done well. Man, try telling your family that you're going to start a real estate company in the history, the most significant correction, the history of United States real estate. It's not as easy <laughs> as it sounds. I right. can promise you that.
0: That's awesome. I, yeah. uh, and, and that's an incredible story because You talk about the European debt market, and I remember Greece uh, and the sort of uh, the tongue-in-cheek, you know, word on the street here is, "We'll trade you for Greece if you take our Puerto Rico," right? And so that was (laughs) it was sort of like this whole thing of unemployment and um, and and talking about the stock market and how much people lost their shirt. So, were you have you completely diversified and got out of the stock market and no more investing in the stock market right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I focused once I really was consider myself knowledgeable about the world of syndications, I realized that I had a significant leg up compared to any other investment vehicle that I can have. I mean, the simplicity of the investment... Compounded with the fact that I could identify best in class operators, which again, back then, you had people and institutions that had tremendous track records that couldn't raise capital because everyone was so terrified. So I was able to build some very high caliber relationships very quickly. And once I started to get the hang of it and started to prove the track record, I cycled my whole portfolio um, out of the Stock market, and then also started helping friends and family. And That was the foundation of the business. You know, similar to a, a family office type of model, where I was identifying operating partners and then placing capital as I continued to invest myself.
0: Yeah, and I think the big thing that people forget that what happened in 2008 and to, to 2010 is that because of lo- a lot of people had money in 401ks and stock markets in these quote unquote you know, cookie cutter investments, which we were all fed, right? Uh, And people lost their shirt, right? And so now there's been a big resurgence in this syndication model where it's like investing direct with the operator, screw the middleman, screw this sort of REIT that sits on the stock market that you're not actually, your money's not backed by anything besides a paper asset. Um, And you've seen a big resurgence in that. And that's where I think the whole, Syndica- real estate syndication and people have been able to raise a lot of money successfully like, like yourself um, was because it, it is a simplified investment model. It is a piece of real estate, you have a good operator, your money's backed by a physical asset. Compared to what you were just investing in in, in the stock market, where you could halve your, your your wealth overnight because of the European bond market, <laughs> you know there were it just people woke up to the the fact that hang on, hang on, this is not bloody working, and and we need something different. So I think you you know both of us have have, have have ridden the wave, but it's also as you said, it's very hard to establish credibility and establish um track record when you're coming out of the worst financial crisis since the great
1: depression so exactly i mean part of that though is that there was some changes in the laws right so you've had the jobs act 2012 which allowed us to publicly solicit and talk about deals on the internet and such like this now at the time Most people in the industry thought this really wouldn't have a significant impact on the business. Who's going to build relationships with people over the internet? But now, as we've seen millennials start to become accredited investors, they were born with the internet. They understand that you can have intimate knowledge about someone's deep, deep thoughts. I mean, I know people that listen to your show, they probably know more about you than some of your best friends. (laughs) And listen, they're literally plugged into your ears. And the same with me. So like the idea that we have created an infrastructure that people can know so much about us on a variety of different topics. And we've had people invest $200,000, $300,000 without as much as a phone call. Five years ago, you'd have said, wow, what schmuck has $300,000? He's willing really to wire someone across the internet. Now it's like, no, no, no. This person knows so much more about where that $300,000 is going than they their counterparts and contemporaries, millions of dollars that they had investing with a I don't know, financial planner, wealth builder, whatever that means, um, but they didn't really have any research on the topic. So this is a revolution. And yes, you and I have certainly been the benefactors of that change, but I like to think that we're also impacting it as well, which is remarkable.
0: And I think it adds to the, what you said before about the the financial guru guy that was, you know, being paid to, you know, shovel out these products that, you know, these insurance companies, you know, hey, you got to buy these products, sell it to all your, all your clients. And, and again, back to that, people have so hurt by 2008 that they're like, screw that, I need to go and be self-educated and invest more time in the education piece. To thus make a better decision about where my money is being placed, and and you know, being online and being on podcasting and and books and articles and all that sort of stuff, being at the forefront to educate those people about the benefits of investing in real estate, you then attract more capital, right? Because you built trust and credibility, and and, and those people on the, on the other side of the fence are wanting to invest with someone who they do trust. Because before it was probably putting blinders on and oh my my broker tells me it's going to be a great investment, thumbs up, right? <laughs> So yes yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, so but mate you 've hugely grown your company over the last um, five to ten what five to seven years. Tell me what 's been some of the successes in and around growing that that trust and credibility because it, I know you 're about to come out with a new book about this whole building credibility, raising capital, but you 've done it also very organically, and, and i 've watched you grow um, from afar, and i 've been very impressed with your success and your scale. But what it, what, can you boil it down to a couple of points that have really magnified or 10x that, that, that brand and that company to, to allow you to attract more and more capital?
1: Yeah. I mean, two things come to mind. First of all, I appreciate the kind words. And yes, it's been a remarkable uh, continued success. And I'm so happy with the teams that we have in place and the strategic partnerships that we've created that have allowed me to focus on what I love doing, which is raising money. Now I've raised about $30 million from about 300 accredited investors, not from one or two large institutions that kind of own your soul, but from hundreds of people all across the country so that if we lose one investor, they can't destroy the business. But that is represents years and years of work work on some of the things I'm about to talk about today. Um, Just circling back, the reason this is important, though, is that when I started investing in real estate, I had an idea that the mobile home park business was going to be very, very favorable. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with some of the reasons why. From my perspective, the asset class basically sells itself. So started investing in that asset class in 2011. By 2013, really saw that it was performing, saw that things were working, all the reasons that I found it so compelling, like the fact that they're not building any new mobile home parks, the fact that all the baby boomers are hitting the age of retirement. Many of them are relying on social security as a source of income, but don't have the money to pay for housing. This was all these tailwinds that this were created. So I decided to scale a business built around the mobile home park business and create my real first fund. And so I was very knowledgeable about the asset class, uh, have ability to communicate. You know, I used to work for Cutco, led my region in sales for the three months that I worked for the company. It's kind of a summer job. So was very comfortable speaking to people. I had a luncheon where I invited only accredited investors, 30 people came. So that's probably somewhere in the range of $30 million of net worth in this luncheon and went through. A thirty- to forty-five-minute presentation on the mobile home park business, and passed out a card at the end of the presentation to talk about. Write down the number that you're interested in investing. It's a twenty-five thousand-dollar minimum. Went through the presentation, answered some questions, just blew it out of the park. Got all the papers turned in and got a grand total of Zero, <laughs> zero dollars. And so the reason this was so important is that I realized, first of all, I had failed. I mean, you can't be a clear, more clear example of failing than that. But what had happened was all the reasons that I was so comfortable and so confident saying that these people are going to be blown away was exactly why they were like, what planet is this? Mm. Like, not only am I not interested in investing in real estate, I don't want to invest in the mobile home park business. That sounds like a total nightmare. And I'm going, no, 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 you don't understand. It's actually low risk, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is speaking a different language. So after months of, you know, sitting alone, crying, trying not to admit to my friends that my capital raise failed, I realized that what I needed to do was stop going around chasing people, trying to have them have a pseudo religious experience in a 30 minute lunch, but really to create an infrastructure to attract leads, really nurture them, establish credibility, educate them, and then close capital. And when I had that switch, that's when things really started to change. You know, so I went from not being able to raise a half a million dollars to, you know, I recently received an email saying, I've seen your work for quite some time. I followed you for two years without reaching out to you. I'm ready to invest. Here's a quarter million. Mm -hmm. Something that happens every now and then, you know, and it requires very little work um, on the actual closing process, which is what most people obsess over, But it's just not how it is. You know, I think that people talk about sales strategies. And I don't want to get too hard on myself, but too far on myself. But I will say that sales strategies is not the key to this business. You know, if you have a book that is just going to drastically change your ability to close, you may go from going from, let's say you have an investor meeting with 10 investors. Normally, you would have closed four. Now, you can close seven. All right. Going from four to seven is not going to move the needle in this business. I want to go from four to 4,000 and this book is kind of the way to build an infrastructure which can actually accomplish that as opposed to doing things like is that the kind of thing that I can interest you in now <laughs> that's just not going to get across the finish line do,
0: do you feel excited by this opportunity you know all those things. Exactly. Sort of- <laughs> but i think you 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 have reflected something that i went through personally as well which was my first raise and i thought i could oh i could smash half a million bucks and i had a cold shower exactly like you i didn't have a lunch and didn't but i was more one on one talking to, to people I was doing a pitch and, and, and then trying to get a coffee or a lunch date and then you know see and I think I went to like 50 people like a, a blast of 50 people to my, my email my, my small email list at the time and I'm like yeah this got this in the bag you know just crushing it you know got this website up sure. and got a couple of articles like short sure. who doesn't know about me right <laughs> yeah. and then all of a sudden it was just like this really cold shower and two investors invested out of it which was I think a hundred and $50,000, which was really a lot for me, but I didn't even hit yeah. close to that mark. And it was, I really had to double down on, okay, well, 50 is not enough. That's not the number, right? Back to your sales point of view of like, mm-hmm, you, don't mm-hmm. want, you don't want to go from four to 10, you want to go from four to 3,000. And how do you expand that network and that email list to, to have more leads to know that it's at, at a best, you know, depending on how good your content is, you might get a Twenty percent close rate—that's really freaking good. But you know, yeah. on, on most marketing stuff, it's it's five to six, maybe seven percent close rate. So to get, I need a thousand people, you know, listening to my whatever that is, to get fifty people to invest, in, and back to those thirty people sitting bums in seats that luncheon, or maybe you need to get, you know, you needed to have had, you know, three thousand people to get that those thirty people to invest. And so um, I think it's yeah. really really interesting. And so I want to dive into. All the tricks and tips and that's going to come out in this new book, because I'm really excited for you uh, that it is your first book, and I'm sure it's your baby uh, and, and I want to maybe before we dive into it, tell me about the, the struggles getting getting the book to 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 fruition because I know I had exactly the same struggles coming with, with my book.
1: Well, you know it's one of those things where, and I'm sure you relate to this. I'm thankful that I waited until this moment to write it because once I turned it on, it just flew out. I mean, I wrote 60,000 words in less than 60 days, which was awesome, I and mean, that's basically a book. Now, that is just the first process, right? So you burn through those 60,000 words, and you go, wow, Let's do another one. And then you start (laughs) going through the editing process and realize, you know what, I'm never going to do another one. So that's kind of what I'm going through right now. Now, um, but, but I will say that in the process of writing the book, one thing that is just so phenomenal, and I do talk about this in the book as well, which is that going through the content creation process, any investor, regardless of your level of expertise, going through the content creation process will drastically increase your knowledge about the topic. And that alone will pay for the time you spent in the process of creating the content, even if no one reads it. So, you know, transitioning into building that infrastructure, I would say that if you haven't yet created, you know, articles on your website, just creating those articles will drastically increase your closure ratio. I can go through the process of how to create some of those articles, but in terms of the book, I mean, that's really where I am with it. It's a complete playbook. The listeners of my podcast in particular, um, I you know my show caters to intermediate to advanced listeners. And so for some people that are just getting started, it's a little bit too dense and they may find someone else and then later work their way back to my show. So what does that mean? The book is very, very dense. At some points, it can be like a textbook. And I know you've got the engineer brain, so you're going to enjoy that. But I'm just being straight up with you. It is the playbook by which to accomplish this. And let's not you know, be unclear about this. Raising capital is the most consistently sought after lucrative and achievable real estate skill that is ever going to exist ever, right? I mean, it's just always is if you can do this one thing, which is raise a million dollars, you can always have a job in the real estate sector. And I don't think there's anything else in the real estate sector that's like that. Now that may not be what people want to admit, but it's the reality of the situation. Thankfully, there's never been a better time to build this educational platform, like the one that you and I have created, and it's just a system. It's a playbook, and people can do the same thing.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I, I, I he, hear, I heard you say waiting, the big thing, waiting, and and I, I know you personally, and I know you have you're extremely knowledgeable, but it sounds like it was nearly like an inner subconscious that you had to allow yourself to to get to a certain point to then say okay, now I think I'm standing on a mountain of value where probably two years ago, you were already standing on that mountain of value, but you needed to prove to yourself through article writing, through podcasting, through interviews, collating your content in order to then feel comfortable to go out and then splurge 60,000 words onto, 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 onto paper uh, to then get it yes. into a book. Was that, because a lot of people do struggle with, trying to create that content and not thinking that they are standing on a mountain of value. Was there any type of that type of internal struggle to think, oh, I don't need Like, Did you want to do the book two years earlier?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's moments where, look, putting forth something like this is going to take a lot of work. Um, Books aren't going to be the way that I make money. The way that I make money is in the performance of the real estate that I invest in. Um, But some of the things that I've really enjoyed is that nothing makes me happier than seeing other people use ideas that I've given them or it played a role in their thinking that have helped them achieve goals when it comes to finances. I mean, that is like one of the most pronounced things in my entire career. If someone sends me a thank you note or an email just telling me that, number one, they used a strategy and helped them make money, or even more importantly, they used a strategy that helped them not lose a bunch of money. And I'm sitting on this, right? So I feel a little bit of like, uh, this is something I could give to the community. Uh, One thing that came to mind when you asked that question, though, is a real estate conference about raising capital. And they said, raise your hand if you've raised a million dollars. And I raised my hand and I said, raise your hand if you've raved $10 million. And I keep my hand up. Now there's not that many hands. Raise your hand if you made $20 million. And I keep my hand up. And now there's really not a lot of hands. I'm thinking, man, I don't have anything special, right? It's just a matter of creating this playbook that I've mentioned. And I should be able to help these people do this, especially because I feel morally obligated to help money get out of the stock market to help people get that money into their control. And so, you know, that's the motivating factor there.
0: Love it. No, I, I, think, I think it's great, but I think I just wanted to touch on that for a second because as any person creating a brand or a business, understanding that you are standing on a mountain of value, it does take time to, before those blinkers come off, um, to give yourself permission to go ahead and say, hey, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to to, to to really maximize and 10X this this content because I, I know that I've done, I've already performed, you know, you raised 30 million bucks, like that's, you are going to outperform most people in any roommate so so well done on that so let's get into the nuts and Can the bolts Can I just add something yeah, real quick i want to, i
1: want i don't want to cut myself off of the content but i do want to mention one thing sure what you just touched on is so important. In this world of influencers, there's this big dichotomy between people that are super eager to share all their knowledge but don't have a lot of experience and this dichotomy on the other side where there's super there's people that are so, so, their track record is incredible but they have this imposter syndrome because they don't want to be like the other guy. Mm-hmm. And so if you are on either side of that spectrum, be cautious. You know, I'm sure like all of us, when we graduated college, we're like, oh, I'm ready to write my first book. <laughs> you know, but you don't quite know what you don't know yet. So no, anyway, I won't go
0: ahead. No, no, no. It, 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 you, you, the imposter syndrome is so important with, with any thought leader or you know business that you're trying to build, because at the end of the day, Hunter, you are the business, right? Like you're st- people invest in you because they trust you, they they like what you're saying, they think you're you know intelligent and knowledgeable about the space. And so allowing yourself to say, well, hang on, I, I I can go out and put myself in front of them as a thought leader, as someone that knows this industry really well because I've already had a bit of a track record. It is that inner dichotomy of like, well, I don't want to put myself out there because I look like an idiot, and I've got, you know, I'm anxious about people thinking X, Y, Z of me. But you got to get over that imposter syndrome and know that you're worth it when you get to a certain point. And and everyone's journey is going to be different, right? Like mine was different to yours, and. But there does come a time where you're probably that aha moment you've got your hand up in the room. You're like, uh, I need to do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need, this needs yeah. to happen like tomorrow. So, so well done. But let's get into the nuts and bolts of the book. Um, I want you to, we've got a couple of questions here, but I really want you to, to, to boil it down into sort of maybe three major t- takeaways that you've, out of writing the book, you think, okay, these are the three things that are going to help anyone attract mm-hmm. capital and, and, and scale up their business.
1: Okay. So I'll, I'll just start with this. Yep. Um, one of the things that I have found personally, and also I've been on the receiving end of this and on the giving end of this, which is find a mentor. And this is something that comes up a lot, but I don't hear ta- people talk about it in this way. It, when it comes to finding a mentor, the type of mentor that when people think about what it means to quote, have a mentor, those relationships have to be inspired. They can be purchased and that purchase can help you facilitate this. But the truth is to create the mentor-mentee relationship, you have to inspire a mentor to give you their playbook for free. And so in the book, it's a short chapter, but it's to me, it's very, very powerful. It is ways to show that you already have momentum. Uh, Someone that I was talking to over the weekend was actually like, you know, when you can get a mentor, the moment that you feel like you don't need one anymore, and you realize that you're just going to have to do it yourself. And then all of a sudden, you attract all these high performers. So there's a couple of strategies I talk about that they're called the key momentum indicators. And so the number one is just show a sense of urgency. If you see someone that's a high performer in the sector, And the feeling is that you are going to be accomplishing this goal. It's just a matter of if they want to participate or not. That's going to inspire them. Another thing is just the speed of execution. We have uh, students that I've helped where it's so remarkable to see the moment that an idea goes from concept to completion, the speed at which that takes place is directly related to the speed of their success. And it's to the simplest thing. So if someone comes up with an idea, okay, yes, I need to create an LLC. Because that's the right way to raise capital with an LLC. And then three days later, they created this LLC. The likelihood that that person is going to be successful in the real estate business is almost 100%. I mean, it's as high as it can be. So, high performers, the people that you want to mentor them, mentor you, they're inspired by this. They also have a very interesting relationship with competition. So, when they see some with motivation, they see some with momentum, they think to their head, do I want to help this person and have them as an ally? And when they write their book later down the road, are they going to mention my name? Or is this person going to be a real competitor that's going to be potentially be a challenge? And I think that high performers are always doing this math in their head. And so if you can inspire them to call you and say, listen, man, how can I help you? That can help you scale your business immensely. I mean, that's just one. Um, and that's not even about the infrastructure, but the reality is the, you know, your willpower is very limited. Okay, there's been studies about this. Towards the end of the day, people struggle with willpower. This is the same thing over the long term. So getting a team of people that are gonna push you along the way really can help you in years two, five, 10, 70.
0: No, I think that's exactly. And I think what you're hitting on here is a bit of a, more of an abundance mindset, right? Like having that um being a going and seeking a mentor is the first thing. And I think that's super important. I've done it, you've done it. Uh, it 's a way in which you can create credibility really quickly. you can just surround yourself with people who you aspire to be but But to your point of them trying to mentor other people, um, you know, having that abundance mindset, do you want to go and be have them mention you in their book you know in five years time i think that 's really important and, and something that I personally and i don 't know how you feel about this but and, and what it says in the book but you gotta have that abundance mindset. There's gonna be a lot of people out there. Uh, it's about the long game in my mind that you constantly put out content and you'll constantly have that abundance mindset and not be worried about, oh, he's gonna steal my client or he's gonna steal my investor. There's so many of those clients and investors out there that who cares? You know, like just keep doing your thing, keep attracting your tribe, keep growing your community. And over the 10, 15 years, you're going to be unstoppable and you'll have built this huge behemoth of a ship that no one, people are going to envy you. And so I really think that's really quite key that abundance is, is, is something that I think that, that I, that I hear when I'm reflecting back at you, what you're saying uh,
1: about that. Oh, a hundred percent. And if the people don't have that mindset, it's not the type of people that you need to do business with. I mean, the reason that I, before writing the book, I did some math, made me inspired to write the book, which is that 600 investors, that are accredited, that are investing $75,000 a year, that's $15 million of equity and enough to buy $50 million worth of commercial real estate. So (laughs) I can find the 600 investors. So the fact I'm competing over those, there's millions in the United States. The fact that I am competing against you for the same 600 people is just ridiculous. And at the end of the day, you know, I probably spent $100,000 on legal fees in 2018. And then turned it into a book and said, mm-hmm. "Here, buy this for fifteen bucks." <laughs> you know, so it's. It, I agree with you completely.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's it's it's important to have that abundance mindset, and I think the yeah. big key key takeaway. So, so, what are some other key takeaways that that you have written in the book that have come to the fore, risen to the top, that you were surprised maybe going into the book that you didn't actually know were going to rise as much as you know? Because yeah, it's writing a book. You have a time to reflect, and you can see yes. the journey in which you've come along. You think, oh, wow, that's right that, that 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 message or that key point. It's actually surprised me. I know it's, it's risen to the top other over some other things that maybe you thought would have been more inspiring, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll say that in terms of credibility, um, systemat- systemization is really, really critical. And sharing the fact that it is a system with investors is going to establish credibility. And thinking of things like that and why that's the case, number one, because of scarcity of time. That's a very good thing to have. Number two, scarcity of investment. You cannot waste your time because these investments are scarce. That's going to really help you in these conversations. But the reason it's going to help you is because it's a very good sign in terms of success. So anything that I do is systematized probably to a level that is just overkill. But I'll give you an example. In the book, I talk about content creation. And the way that I have always done this, thankfully, since day one, is being very cautious about trying to complete creative tasks with analytical tasks simultaneously because it doesn't work and it slows you down. So if you want to create 10 articles, what I would do is block out somewhere between 60 minutes and 180 minutes and only write topic article names just anything that comes to mind. So for me, it would be something like five reasons to invest in self-storage. What's the relationship between housing prices and interest rates? Is cash flow actually king? How can you accomplish predictable outcome and high returns? Just, okay, whatever, that was five. So you only have 95 left that you have to come up with. So once you've done that though, I would put them in Excel and rank them numerically in terms of how close they are to your business in terms of alignment and then sort them in terms of those numeric value and then write 10 articles on the first 10. Okay, so now you've gotten ten out of the hundred. Then I would take fifty-two remaining in numeric value, write an email which is like three hundred to five hundred words on those topics, and then you've got thirty-eight left and do thirty-eight social media posts. And you can blast these out weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever. Okay, that is fully, fully optimized. Now the truth is, some of those emails that are going to be sent out later because they're lower in terms of numeric value, you want to put your best for forward. Three months later, especially if you're just getting started, your knowledge, your expertise will significantly increase and you can push those on that drip campaign back, back, back so that maybe people never even read them. And I think that this is a great deal because not only are you able to do all the topics up front and then create the content separately, you're not always shifting between writing and coming up with topics. I like Mm. to do things in time blocks. And that's something that, you know, I always have done, but I think sharing with that was something that I, I didn't really anticipate doing that. It's a reoccurring theme throughout the book because of the fact that the whole point is to be scalable.
0: That's interesting. So you're, you're, you're front-loading your content rather than letting it organically evolve over time. Is that right?
1: it's a little bit of both. It's a matter of not shifting gears. So mm-hmm. I will take a month to create a bunch of content. Three months later, I'll take a month to create a bunch of content. And that way you're not just constantly coming with new things. Now, some people don't like this workflow and that's fine, but you can, the point is systematize it and yep. then share that system. It's the same thing with um, doing calls with investors. If I'm going to do anything a lot, I'm going to ask why first and then how can I systematize it. For, yeah. for calls, for example, there's only two reasons to do in a call. It's an introductory call and a due diligence call. <laughs> Just sharing that itself with investors that go, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. He's done this before and letting them know that the reason for this is because you don't like to waste time because your time is valuable.
0: G'day, guys. I want to interrupt today's episode as I'd like to take a moment to thank our wonderful sponsors. Without their continued support, we would not be able to bring you the most cracking real estate investment tips to help you be successful week in, week out. This month, we have partnered with a cracking, innovative peer-to-peer investment platform called Diversity Fund. At Diversity Fund, their goal is to reduce the wealth gap and enable everyday Americans to achieve financial freedom by investing directly into commercial real estate deals, specifically value-add multifamily. Now, the thing that sets Diversity Fund apart from other peer-to-peer investment platforms is that they offer high-quality investment opportunities without the usual cost of entry. You can invest with Diversity Fund for as little as 500 bucks. That's it. And the best part is that you're investing alongside operators who are the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? Start investing today and get access to deals that historically have only been available to the top 1%. To find out more, head to diversifund.com. That's E R S Y F U N D dot com and use offer code INVEST IN THE US when you sign up for an account and receive a $20 gift card when you make your first investment. That's diversifund.com. Now back into the show. No, I, I think that is that is also very true. Setting up systems, um, setting up expectations with investors and with people with your time is the second thing, but also the, the systemization of the of the article writing. I, I also encourage people to at least write five to 10 articles to get started. And then when you're out in the world, like I know we write an article after every time we close a deal, like lessons learned from closing, we just did 350 units, or I know some other people write like let, five lessons learned from attending a conference. You know, what did you what did you get away? And it, it helps two things. It helps take, you know, you spend up an hour, two hours sitting down and reflecting on what has just happened on, on a significant, maybe life-changing moment in your life. And it's gonna be fresh in your mind rather than trying to force, you know, 52 is a lot um, and maybe not everyone out there listening that could do 52, but maybe you start with five or right. 10 that are like yes. know, simple ones, like why invest in real estate? What's the benefit of cash flow? Very, very easy ones that you can come up with that doesn't take a lot of research and you're like, boom, I can just start writing straight away. And I think that is really key to, to do the, the, the front end loading to then drip feed it. But then also don't forget when you're out out in life and you're trying to grow your business, Having those moments to sit down and be mindful enough to sit down, and say, "Okay, I'm going to take an hour now and reflect on a conference I just went to, or reflect on a conversation I just had, or reflect on a deal I just closed on." And even if the deal didn't work, why didn't it work? You know, that, that is all content that can be created very quickly and very easily because it's at the fresh at the front of your mind. Write it down, and uh, I use it. Do, do you use any tools? So I knew I, I use a few tools, but I wanted to maybe ask you what tools you use when you're trying to get stuff out of your head.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, what you're just saying is just so, so on point because you are wasting your time if you're going to conferences and not repurposing the thoughts that are in your mind for your own content. In fact, you're wasting your time if you're not constantly doing that. Something I talk about in the book, you're basically, you want to see the matrix listen to what people are saying and look at them, but you should be using one eye to look at them in terms of where is this content coming from and one ear to think about how can I hear this in a way that'll be counterintuitive that my listener base or readership will be interested in. And so I I completely agree. Never let a cool opportunity go wasted in terms of that. Um, So what I do is I write topic ideas down in a notes box that's it. So I do something called the Monday minutes on my show. Mm-hmm. These are topics re- relating from everything from economics to, you know, motivational stuff, personal development, et cetera. And, you know, sometimes I'll be at lunch with someone and they will say something interesting. I'll just write down the topic, but that's really the only tool. I mean, I'm interested to hear what you're Tools are because I'm sure your listeners are familiar with but I am not.
0: Yeah, uh, some of the tools that I use, uh, I also did I think when you are starting to create content, there's you know, there's three mediums. There's written, there's audio, there's visual. And I know people who are listening to this show need to you need to lean into what you're good at. I started with blog writing, and blog writing is really easy and newsletters and stuff like that. Um, but sometimes I mm. you know, I don't I don't like it. I don't love it. I don't like oh, let's sit down and write an article. I don't I like doing audio, right? I like speaking. So I use a thing called rev.com. Um, or repurpose.io. Uh, yes. There are two really awesome platforms that I can just be in the car. I can dictate on my phone. Boom, they can send me back, you know, yep. what I've just said, and I can try and repurpose it into into an article. Uh, another hack is that I'm also getting ghostwriters to help me with with articles. So um, that is that that is that is something pretty cool. Um, but mate, I want to get back into the, uh, the into the book a little bit. Of what, so We just covered the, the first two major points that have come up. What's the third one in and around attracting investors into your sphere in order to get them to convert to an investor and give you money to, to put into a deal? Any tips and tricks on that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we talked about kind of podcast interviews. If that's something that you're interested in, we cover it um, in the book as well creating articles, creating an ebook, the easiest way to do that, have your friend interview you on a topic, send it over to rev.com, convert that to text. We've done that. If you're interested in checking out our ebook of our first ever episode, which is a very popular episode, um, send me an email at info at asimcapital.com. I'll shoot you an example of that. Now, the next step is actually your particular deal, creating the executive summary, the marketing deck for your offering. In real estate, The phrase that everyone always likes to repeat is location, location, location. When it comes to your offering memorandum or your offering deck, the key that you need to remember is design, design, design. The photography needs to be amazing. The design needs to be extremely compelling. The easiest way to go to upwork.com, hire a graphic designer that has done some beautiful work in the past and provide them three examples of decks that you think are beautiful. And if you don't have the eye for this, Hire someone else to give those examples because this is absolutely critical. So again, going along the lines of scalability, what I want to do is convert that executive summary, which needs to be designed in either PowerPoint or Keynote, and what I'm about to say, repurpose that executive summary into a presentation that can be given in a webinar. And webinars are so critical because, yes, you can attract people to the webinar and they can watch it. You can watch basically infinite number of people can attend the webinar. We can go through the details, the highlights of the executive summary, usually about 30 minutes. for Once it's done, you've got that recording there. You can send it out to everyone that comes to your mailing list from that point forward. And it's going to really help the scalability. It's going to reduce the amount of times that you have to answer the same question over and over again. Um, I like to use Zoom, but there's a lot of competitors out there. An extra tip, I really like to use Eventbrite to track the RSVPs and pre-write a thank you email which will include the recording. So as soon as you're done with it, you can send it out. So before I go any questions, before I go any further, I want to just kind of give you an opportunity to ask questions about the webinar because this is something that is is currently being utilized, but I don't think it's being utilized enough because of how scalable and replicatable it is without taking your time.
0: You know, I think you've highlighted and hit on a number of points that are extremely key for those people who you know maybe either missed that or was that converting books or converting conversations into eBooks Creating executive summaries uh, in terms of the design and how professional it looks. And then going into a webinar in order to answer questions for investors, talk about a deal, Uh, maybe it's an introductory webinar so you don't have to keep uh, answering the same questions over and over again. I know we do that in our business and it's hugely successful, particularly when we have a live deal. Um, But I think it's also very helpful when you're trying to onboard an investor in order to get them up to speed uh, and get them on the same page quickly rather than having to answer 60 emails uh, at once or 60 questions at once. You can say, hey, we are. Um, we, th- these are the, the top five questions or the, the frequently asked questions. Have a read of this, have a listen to this webinar. And then thus, if you have any more questions, we can answer it on a one-on-one call. Is that kind of what you're, you're saying, Hunter?
1: Absolutely. And the key here is that you've already done the hard work. You're already an expert in the sector. You've already created the executive summary. Why not repurpose it so you can touch someone in a way that's not, being, that's not being given to them in terms of their senses with just a PDF document? So take that PDF document, which should be a PowerPoint, create that live presentation and conduct a webinar. And then that's kind of a good segue into the next discussion, which is really taking that webinar and creating a live presentation, which I like to do investor dinners. I can have people fly in or meet at a location where there's a lot of your investors and create a live presentation. Now, the the couple of tips with the live presentation, um, if you're catering to accredited investors, which I'm a huge advocate of, you should create a situation where you're probably paying somewhere between $50 and $80 a piece for the dinner. I don't like to go below that. I don't like to go above that. It needs to be nice enough so that if they went out to dinner, it would be kind of a similar caliber. But you don't want to give them the impression that you're spending money unwisely because it just sets a bad tone. Also, when you do this at a dinner it's if it's a nice place, they'll probably have a food and beverage minimum. I don't suggest providing an open bar right this is this is something that comes from experience. If you have to hit the food and beverage minimum, have the cash bar be part of that food and beverage minimum if you're still scared that people aren't going to do it enough, give everyone a drink ticket, but don't give them five drink tickets because it can turn from a presentation into a birthday party and that's not yeah. what you want to do. Um, just a couple more tips about kind of live presentation. The content is already created. You're comfortable with it at this point. You've already given it on a webinar and you've practiced with mastery in mind, meaning that you've recorded yourself doing it. You've given yourself notes. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to do this, but at the time that you go to the live presentation, the content should be immaculate. So what you need to focus on is the experience because the people that are going to attend an in-person presentation are more likely to move forward based on the actual experience. So what am I talking about? The service at the restaurant, the sound, right? Are you, Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Those are actually really important things to contemplate because those are things that can make or break your own your own charisma. If you're not prepared for things to go wrong and have a way to overcome those things, your confidence can deflate. And live presentations is all about being confident. Something I talk about in the book is taking up physical space when giving live presentations. People are unconfident or scared about talking in public. They start to kind of corner themselves in physically. You know, they start to act like they're flying in the middle seat and coach and don't want to touch either person next to them. That is the opposite of what you need to do. Now, if you're looking for inspiration, Google Conor McGregor billionaire walk. He's kind of made a habit of busting through the doors, strutting side to side, flinging his elbows to the side. And he's basically just like, I'm the man. Now, I'm not saying that you need to bust through your Morton steakhouse with the Irish (laughs) flag without a shirt on, swinging around. But if you need a way to pick yourself up emotionally, just take a big breath of fresh air, fill your chest up, and just don't be afraid to take up that physical space. Um, I think that investor presentations at dinners are really remarkable. The close ratios is very, very high, especially, you know, if someone flies, they buy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And and tell me how, you know, you've just illustrated such a great, Funnel, right? You've got the book, which is now going to summarize all this, which is going to attract investors. You've got the podcast. You come into webinars uh, or maybe one-on-one calls. I, I feel like if you get to the dinner stage in the Hunter Thompson sphere, you're like you're pre- yeah you're, you're pretty far along the track, right? And 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 so so tell me how many? What's the conversion rate? And how many often do you do these
1: in-person events uh, a year? Or what yeah, would you, what would you recommend? Well, yeah, I mean, this is something that is costly. You know, So that it's not as scalable. So you want to be cautious about that. But I'll give you a perfect example of how you do this. I'll do this once or twice a year. And, and the reason I will do this is let's say we have a particularly large, large raise and we're closing a property in San Antonio. I may say for the first 20 people that book their flights, I will pay for your hotel rooms in San Antonio and all the food for Friday. You can do whatever you want on Saturday. I'll pay for the hotel rooms on Saturday as well. But oh, we're going to have a little trip to San Antonio. You can see this property. There's going to be an opportunity to invest. You have to be an accredited investor to attend. You have to show me that you're accredited beforehand. And what is this going to cost me? Maybe $10,000. And, you know, we have the potential to raise millions because of that. Because mm-hmm. people that are, if they're willing to go to something like that, it's a good idea. Now, this next bonus, especially if you're just getting started, I really like to have people in the room who have previously invested with me and team members and I would have them sit at different tables at this dinner because you know those savvy investors that have made that decision to invest with you and have had a good experience, they're going to share that with the people at the table, and it's going to really create this atmosphere that you know what you're doing. And like I said, it's all about credibility. It's building a relationship, yes, and credibility is a huge part of that. It's 90% credibility because the rest of the relationship will be established by the fact that they want to be in a relationship with you because you have credibility
0: right and it's also the scarcity mentality right where you are trying to um, be more when you surround yourself with people who have been successful they want to they want to emulate you right and they want to be able to get you uh, in, in, in the same room as you and be in the same deals and so it's it's really, really awesome that you've able to create such an incredible uh, funnel, as I said before, uh, in order to get these people to the closing table and th- thus then invest in your deal. So it's oh, yeah. so really, really well worth no, it. I um, really
1: appreciate it. And it's the whole point, right? It's most people think about raising money. Think about it like on a graph. You think about you are the center of the graph. And then you have your idea that you're going out to your doctor, going out to your lawyer, going out to your mom and your cousin and your friend Frank that owns a franchise. You're chasing these people around. But you said it. It's a funnel. It's an inverted pyramid that people start at the top and work their way down to the bottom.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think if you don't have not have not thought, sat and thought about how to develop this business, because Hunter is literally laying out the steps from content creation to becoming a thought leader to putting yourself out there and creating a brand to then having an investing experience where the funnel is seamless and systemized to one-on-one conversations and then in-person events. I, th- he is literally laying it out for you. And this is what I'm so excited to, to get my hands on this book. Um, mate, any other big things that, that we need to know about the, the book coming out? When's it being launched? You know, what, what else can people expect? Any other little cool freebies that come along with it if, or, if any?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm actually going to be recording something tomorrow, which is actually closing, which none of this conversation has been about closing, but um, that's what people are most interested in. So you actually get a 30-minute keynote presentation of me talking about actually getting the money from start to finish. And there's some nuances there that are going to really, really help you with that. And if you order the book prior to it being launched, so the launch date is December 2nd, going to be available on Amazon. If you order the book prior to December 2nd, you get access to a ton of freebies, including some interviews with people that have raised tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. So you get that keynote presentation and um, some other freebies as well.
0: That's awesome, man. I can't wait. I can't wait to you know, congratulate you on, on this huge success because getting your first book out is, is, is massive. But I think this book is going to be full of just some incredible crack and advice that people are going to be able to take away and go off and start a real estate business. And, and, and I, one last question, I would assume that most of these techniques are for investors for real estate, but you could apply some of these most of these techniques, if not all of them to any business, right? When you want to scale.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that right now we're in it, living in an incredible time when it comes to building that lead Nurture system. You know, I saw the iTunes download information recently where seven by 2014, a total of seven billion downloads had taken place in iTunes. Mm-hmm. Um, by 2018, that number had gone from seven billion to 50 billion. And I think wow. when people hear that, they start to think that we're in some sort of bubble, which is reasonable. That has been like mm-hmm. a categorical shift in terms of the popularity of something. But when you know something is in a bubble, is when things don't make sense on a risk-adjusted basis. And from my perspective, the podcast medium in particular is just so favorable on a risk-adjusted basis. Because right now, Reed, you and I are having this conversation. It's not like there's a team behind me that I pay $30,000 a year each to be like, hey, don't say that thing again. Don't say that super unpopular political idea. We're going to dot it No, if that was the case, the show, my show in particular, would have been ended a long time ago. My point is, it's incredibly favorable on a cost and risk adjusted basis. I think we're actually just getting started. Um, So yeah, it's applicable applicable to any business. Um, And and really, like I said, even if no one ever reads your content, just going through the process of creating it alone will help you.
0: Right. No, I think that's incredibly true um, because it it helps you, as you said earlier in the piece, really, really, fine tune what you know you're good at already and then putting your getting stuff in your head out of your head onto paper and making sure that you're then giving yourself the the freedom and the ability to go out and put it into the world to attract those investors to attract those business leads um so hopefully you can then scale your business and i think the one big thing that i don't know if you talk about it in the book but is, is is the patience part of it like all of this has taken you years to develop right and this it doesn't it don't just Turn it on, and all of a sudden your website's full of people. Look, reading your your content, you have got to go out and drive people to your, to to drive traffic to your website. And so, is that, a, is that an element of the book that, in terms of patience and, and understanding, this will take time to develop?
1: Well, part of it is just understanding that things go wrong. I mean, why do you think I shared that story of me failing, right? I mean, it's clear from the way that you communicate that you know what you're doing, and that you, if you're passionate about something, that you can communicate it effectively. Some of the best in the world you know what I mean? Like you are clearly a good speaker, but what happened? You really struggled during your first total raise. So we're preparing people for this to be challenging. But the truth is there is a way to make it easy. I over and over again, I cannot tell you how mad it makes me when people say, Hey, don't have a track record. Don't have any knowledge. Don't have any expertise. No worries. Read this book and you're going to be a millionaire. No, what I say over and over again is the opposite of that. I say, look, trying to enter into a sector which is extremely competitive and extremely lucrative it tracks every, everyone from warren buffett to curl icon it's going to be hard but you can do it
0: <laughs> right exactly exactly mate um where can people reach you to continue the conversation they want to be in your sphere they want to get their hands on the book a little bit earlier where do they yep. go
1: so yeah, if you'd like to learn more about the book, please sing capitalforrealestate.com. Ton of freebies there. If you really like this interview and want to give me some feedback or you're interested in learning about more about the book, just shoot me an email at info at I'll probably shoot you some freebies just for sending me an email.
0: Awesome stuff, mate. I thank you so much for the patience with the technology today. It has not been the best, but for those listeners out there, info at asymcapital.com. All the show notes from today's show will have all the links to Hunter's new book. So some of the big takeaways from today's show is that I really liked Hunter's interpretation of how he went from not establishing credibility through through research and through understanding a, a, a space in real estate that he was passionate in and then going out and surrounding himself with a mentor and abundance mindset people in order for him to to benefit from, right? And in, in terms of raising his ability up to be better and be more and go out and attract capital, I think that was really important. That was my number one takeaway. The second takeaway is the systemization of the business in order to to have that front facing quote unquote, systemization with investors to say, hey, you've got to come through this process. You've got to come through um, this this sort of mousetrap in order to be onboarded with us and our team. And, and that is part of what we do here. And that's gonna attract more credibility, it's gonna develop more credibility, and thus people are gonna understand how to work with you in the future. And I think the last thing is understanding the, the funnel and going from creating content into podcasting, into creating webinars and systemization, into creating one-on-one calls, to creating in-person events, which is hugely, hugely important. Um, again, guys, if you have any questions for Hunter, please shoot him an email at info at asmcapital.com. I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your real estate investing IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So to to take care, be safe, and remember, don't go give life a crack.